RadioInfluence.com. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Dark Delight Podcast with Frankie Val on the drums and Beans. Tis Wednesday. Hey, hey uh, by the way, uh, I always jumped the gun the last couple of years. It is not the first day of fall today. What do you mean? I said that Wednesday would be our first show uh, of fall season, and apparently the equinox is the 22nd. Since I, freaking when? I thought my brother's birthday was the equinox, the oh, 21st. Listen, first day of summer is June 21st. And the first day of winter is December 21st. This is such a, this, this has had to have been changed at some point. Uh, when did the fall equinox change to... I'm just saying, when did it change? Um, I Thursday, September twenty second, twenty twenty two. I don't know what the hell. It's I a Mandela would, effect. Maybe, or maybe it's just one of those rotation of the Earth. <laughs> I have no. Clue. Like how we lose five seconds every year or something. Yeah, like that. and then they have like a leap year where they have to make an adjustment every. I don't have no. And I the only no the only reason they're making the adjustment is because of a human constraint on time. Well, it's a human metric. Right. You can't constrain anything. That's what I meant. We, and, we can, and we can barely define it. Um, offline, I have to talk to you about something absolutely insane. So you're not allowed to leave today until I tell you. All right. Just letting you know. So you know now early on. And then maybe I'll share it with everybody, but probably not. Anyway. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. So from we're going to say it's, it's, it's fall because I feel like it is. And so today's the first day of fall. Yes. <laughs> it, traditionally, this is the first day of fall, so. <laughs> yeah, and then, okay, so I'll start on this Martha's Vineyard thing. Actually, first let's start in your state, Frank. New York Attorney General Letitia James. Now, we're recording at 8.30 in the morning, so by the time this airs, this whatever this major announcement is going to be is out there. But she says she's going to make a major announcement what was the major announcement? What uh, did uh, did Putin say anything overnight? Yeah, he said th- he said that he wanted to destroy us with nuclear weapons, and he's not kidding if we don't stop. Well, I mean, we're we're uh, this is our our government's doing it to us. Yep. What would you say? I, I mean, I don't want to be destroyed by nuclear weapons. Who, do- I, who does? <laughs> but uh, they're doing it to us. I mean, he's like, if you don't stop, I'm gonna have to take action. I'm not kidding. Would you mess with that? I, I'm like, all right, well, why don't we just stop sending billions of dollars to Ukraine and leave? How about that? Hmm? Yeah. Yeah, but you see, to, to leave would be, it would be to admit that we, uh, we've been there from the beginning and that it's always been us. You know, right now we're playing the role of, oh, there's our, there are friends. It's a, it's a thriving democracy and we're, fr- you know, we've it's not like. So many issues all over the planet because of our policy of just going in and trying to demand that we inflict our will upon others. I know that's going to sound horrible, and I'm, I'm sure, it, you know, and obviously in many cases we were just in what we did. But going into Iraq, toppling uh, Gaddafi, I don't know, because he had a gold-backed currency. It never, it never ends. And the digital dollar is really creeping in there, Frank. Yeah, I'm actually going to add, I hope I get to, um, I have G. Edward Griffin coming on my show tonight, mm. and I would, that's one of the things I'd love to ask, this this executive order, um, it is it is being thoroughly, is you know, 
what what researched yeah researched just like they're doing pilot programs of universal basic income all over the place they just want to see how it works out not only that but they've released a coin what coin uh i believe the government has released a coin hold on completely outside of show prep so you're gonna have to stand by for a second um Gigi sent it yesterday and said by the way we're all finished (laughs) hold on What, what coin they have a they have a coin. The U.S. government has a reg, a coin now, a crypto coin. Oh, oh, I can't find it. I'll find it and we'll talk about it on Friday. OK. Yeah. But like, guys, there's a whole thing going around right now. Like, basically, it's just use cash. Well, I mean, that's it. You have to stay liquid. Um, and I and I don't know what that means. If that means that you, you can you can even keep cash in a checking account. I guess it's not cash then. No, it's not. And you can use cash right now. Go to the bank, take it out, and then go use it to buy things. If even a fraction of the population did that, we could make an impact. So Start yeah. using cash. Remember when nobody used to have a debit card and it used to be like a novelty? I know. I, I do. Yeah. It's, it was something, something that you could, and it wasn't anything that you were paying with. It was if you had a, you had a uh, when I remember in, in middle school and junior high, every once in a while, a friend would pop up with a new with a checking account uh, with a, uh, a an ATM card with a little checking account that was set up for them. Everybody's learning how to manage a checking account. You have a summer job, you go make deposits. We're just learning responsibility. So I remember having my first. Um, I think I I think I was in First Union Bank, and then First Union became Wachovia, and. Um, it, it was just it was just thrilling knowing that if I find an ATM, I can take out twenty dollars because I probably only had about thirty in there. But uh, that was it. It still wasn't something I would be able to walk up to a cashier and everywhere. spend right and and yeah, put a little. There were let alone a chip on the card. Right, right. And then yeah, I, I mean I remember that very very clearly. And then all of a sudden you started being able to use like debit cards at stores and they were just like credit cards quote oh gosh the progression has been so rapid yeah so rapid um but yeah Letitia james is going to make some major announcement within hours about something i'm sure it's going to be some kind of an indictment or something about some political target she's had her eye set on um and from there we can move to the special master hearing that was yesterday with judge cannon who is the person that has been appointed by the judge in not judge cannon judge deary who is the person who has been appointed by judge cannon in the trump special master case um he's the impartial guy who's supposed to review all these documents and then filter out what they shouldn't have what they shouldn't what they should have what the classification issues may be etc um and the the way that Politico wrote this, because Politico was in the courtroom, makes it look, look as though the entire hearing was Deary slamming Trump's attorneys, saying that we need to know, like, what you guys are arguing you've declassified so that we can better make our assessments. And Trump's attorneys saying we shouldn't have to mount our defense before there's even been a charge. Right. Right. And then everybody in the outside is saying, well, well, I don't know. The president has ultimate declassification authority. He could he there's no question if he says something's declassified. It is on the spot. No questions asked. That's it. 
it all stems and flows downhill from the chief executive, right? Mm-hmm. They tried to limit this years ago and were in the Supreme Court ordered that they couldn't do that because it's the ultimate responsibility of the chief executive of the United States of America, who is the president. So if everybody knows this already, Frank, my argument is to, to Trump's attorneys, why aren't you just saying that? Why are you being so weird about it? Like everybody already knows that's what your defense is going to be anyway. Yeah. The judge here, Deary, is just saying, tell me. So I know, and they won't do it. And that bothers me because I'm like, well, if you know random citizen out there walking on the street, what is the big secret? Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's, it, I, I don't know. I, I guess my first, um, my first assumption is that big secret and cryptic one thing or another is just par for the course. We, uh, we, we, we knew most. Uh, a couple of months in, we knew most about uh, Russia Gate, and we just got strung along. So, uh, whatever keeps people guessing and keeps uh, suspicion and mystery alive for those that this entire scam is aimed for in a media sense. I mean, um, I don't know. I, I mean, I I have a clip here that was sent to me. I do, I've not listened to it yet, so I'm just going to throw that out there. It's Jenna Ellis talking about this very thing on Joe Pags. We're just going to play it and see what she says, and then I'll I'll retort. You know, I'm not trying to say I'm smarter or less smart or whatever than Jenna Ellis, but I, I have at least a core competency here. So let's see. So, so Jenna, I've got to get into the classification, the declassification. I think I understand how it works. In fact, I had a long conversation with Laura Logan about this yesterday. Um, uh, the bottom line is, if something is classified by a specific agency, like the NSA or the FBI or the CIA, that agency can declassify it by reissuing it without the classification on it. When it comes to a president's ability, the ability of a president of the United States, and correct me if I get any of this wrong, is to declassify anything he feels like declassifying. He can yell it from the kitchen. He can he can uh, you know do it on a phone call. There is no protocol, as far as I can tell, where you've got to have a paper trail and tell your mom's sister's brother to, to call my uncle, where you've got to announce it on television. In fact, if Trump felt like it, he could have done a speech while he was the president and declassified everything by saying, I am declassifying everything regarding the Russia probe, which he did, of course, say. So um, when, when you see people on even Fox jumping over themselves, trying to say that he didn't do protocol. It wasn't standard operating procedure. It wasn't what, what he has to do by, by procedural measure. That's all BS, isn't it? The president can do anything he wants and declassify anything he wants. Do, do I have this wrong? No, no, you're absolutely correct. And, you know, and let's just say that he didn't go through the proper process and they're right about that. Well, that doesn't mean then that he's, you know, guilty of a crime and this is, you know, the Espionage Act is, uh, I mean, it is invoked. I mean, this is just so pathetically ridiculous. But I'll give you an example. Um, so, you know, I, of course, uh, used to be one of Trump's lawyers. Yes. And there were many times that I was in the Oval Office for hours. And I would sit there and various people would come in and out. And there were various things that were discussed that I overheard simply by being in the room. Right. And because of that, they were they were deemed, um, you know, I, I knew them even if I didn't have an SCI level clearance, which, of course, is a sensitive compartmented information, and I wouldn't have otherwise been cleared to hear or see whatever it was that I heard or saw. It was declassified as to me simply because the president allowed me to be there for that particular conversation. And he didn't have to jump through a hoop. He didn't have have to make another amendment. Okay, Joe, stop interrupting. But anyway, so why is it so horrible for the attorneys to just be like, judge, 
We don't have to even assert this. It's obviously common knowledge that the president can declassify everything. He declassified everything he had. What is so hard if everybody's talking about this all over the place and how ironclad of a thing it is? Why can't his attorneys just tell this guy that? Right, right. It's not so much. It's not so much uh, wondering why the opposition is coming after Trump. It's wondering why Trump's defense is not being so forthright about something that could potentially neutralize this at the get go. Yeah. So don't go after the the judge. Deary, I'm not like, oh, Judge Deary is such a pain in the ass. I'm like, he just wants to hear it, to get it out there and, and you know, saving it for any indictment and defense to mount so that they can't mount a challenge to it is like, I guess, a legal strategy. But again, it is such an understood concept that I don't understand why these attorneys are like, well, I'm not going to do this now. I don't get it. So whatever. Let's see what happens. There's got to be something else going on. I don't know. Must be. Anyway, so that's that part of but, things. But, but it must be something else going on. But what's a timeline to what's a timeline to uh, resolution? Like, when do we know one way or another? Because everything has to have a an end here. Yeah. So he he's supposed to be done with his special mastering by uh, November thirtieth. November thirtieth. Yes, because he has hundred thousand or whatever ten boxes of documents to go through to pull out what they shouldn't have and what they should have. Right. So they could have taken 900. Let's just use an arbitrary number. I don't know if this is even how many documents they have, but 999,999 documents could have been taken by them outside of scope. And the special master has to look through every single one to figure out what's what and what's privileged and what's not and what's personal and what's not. And, you know, what kind of like items of clothing, you know what I mean? Yeah. So what they're in Apple, they're in they're in the appellate court right now arguing about those hundred classified documents. So there's a hundred classified documents that the government does not want to allow Deary to see. And judge Cannon, who's the one who appointed Deary is saying, well, don't worry about that. We'll have them look at those first. So you can have them back to finish doing whatever you're doing. If you deserve to have them in the first place. So they're in the appeals court appealing judge Cannon's decision to allow the special master to look at those first trying to argue why they shouldn't have them at all in the special master case, let alone having them look at them first. So that hearing was first yesterday. It's getting complicated. I know that mm. hearing was first yesterday. And and then they went over to, to sit with the special master in his chambers and go through all this. Oh, <gasps> yeah. And to think that this, this all might be thwarted by nuclear war. I know it's like, what? it might be all for naught. <laughs> <laughs> man, man, where's the it, just give us some bright side here. I don't know. So there's that. Um, and then. Oh, goodness. Um, I have what else? Oh, so Mar- Martha's Martha's Vineyard. I, I, I Martha is not feeling too well these days. This this is just blo- I'm going to summarize it so we don't have to go through too much here. But I have two clips. That I want you to play. I want to play from residents of Martha's Vineyard. Okay. Were you surprised at all when Governor Ron DeSantis decided, okay, you know what? Guess what? I'm going to send 50 of the migrants uh, who volunteered to come to this, to come, to come to Boston, to come to Martha's Vineyard. Were you surprised when they arrived? No, I wasn't. And I actually, I really praise him for doing that because it wasn't a stunt. I know the media has been saying it's a stunt. 
but um, you know, how do you get the attention of, of of the administration? How do you get the attention of Harris, who's supposed to be in charge of this? That do you think she has been a good border czar? I don't. It's really a joke, and everyone knows it. There's one. Yeah. yeah. Here's it. That was that was not the one. No, hold on here. Here we go. My message would be, how do you think the people in Texas feel that are getting thousands of them coming in a day? And uh, we had a little taste of it with 50. (laughs) We just got a little taste. He's saying like, I mean, there are two conservatives on Martha's Vineyard, which I am stunned to hear, but they're there. There they are on Fox News with Sarah Carter. So, you know, like some sheriff, we wrote about this yesterday. Um, Salzar, I guess his name, this is what happens when you don't elect constitutional sheriffs, is suing or is opening a criminal probe into Ron DeSantis. And guess what, Frank? What? They were able to find some of those migrants, not not Salzar, Salazar, not Salazar, but somebody who wants to file a federal lawsuit was able to magically find some of these migrants after they had praised their experience at Martha's Vineyard saying how blessed they were to be there and get them to sign on to a federal lawsuit against Ron DeSantis. I wonder what the perks that come along with being plaintiffs in that suit are. Yeah. Like, like these people are going to turn that down. They'll say anything. (laughs) What do you want us to do? Tell us where you want us to go. Give us whatever. Like, you'll oh, you'll support my family? Okay. You'll give me a job? Okay. I'll do anything you say. Come on. I think that should be mandatory in that suit that they disclose if they're being paid. Yep. Oh, this should be a lot. Absolutely. No, I, I and uh, back on this continues. And, 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 um, and the way it continues, and we continue to just... Ignore the fact that once again we have a bigger problem here that they shouldn't be here, <laughs> that they shouldn't be here, and, and and not because they're not allowed to try. That's the whole point. So uh, we have completely just accepted a new starting point of there is no there is no problem with the way that these fifty and the other forty million got here. Well. <laughs> There's no problem with that. Uh, what we need to do is figure out how we can use them in a political food fight. Did you hear what Biden said yesterday on the border? What? Oh, gosh. Hold on. Hold on. On the border. Why is the border more overwhelmed under your watch, Mr. President? Because there are three countries that are never had. There are fewer, fewer immigrants coming from Central America and from Mexico. This is a totally different circumstance. What's on my watch now is Venezuela, Cuba, and Nicaragua. And the ability to send them back to those states is not rational. We could send them back and have them wait. We're working with Mexico and other countries to see if we can stop the flow. But that's the difference. Thank you. No, 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 no. They have to cross many countries. They have to cross many countries to get from where get from those states to the United States. It doesn't matter. There is no responsibility for us to figure out how to get them directly back to Nicaragua or Venezuela. Just get them out of here. You just stop them from getting in here. And then there's more impetus for Mexico to take care of their borders. You see how this works? Yeah, isn't that amazing? Dumb Muppet. 
It isn't amazing. Isn't it amazing how two 40 something year olds sitting in respective states have better ideas than the president? Well, he's just a, he uh, for him to think I'm in for to, for me to think that there are people out there who would hear that response to a question and is listening to this media and go, hmm, well, he's right. It's very complex situation. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Yep. That's that's just something else. Yeah. And then there's there's, you know, obviously the VP who's not much brighter at all, if not stupider. No offense. No offense to Joe. <laughs> Come on. So there's the, there's that whole thing. And that's not going to go away. But you know what it has done? It has sparked a nationwide conversation about our southern border where now there are there are a lot of people coming out talking about fentanyl and how it's touched their lives in negative ways, i.e. people dying everywhere from this. The fact that they smuggle so much fentanyl over the border that I think it was a couple weeks ago, they smuggled so much fentanyl over the border that was seized that it could kill the population of the United States of America twice. Think about that. Twice. Well, it doesn't take much. No, it, it takes, doesn't. It takes like a couple of flex to kill one person. And and if just think about a weapon that that it it makes me shudder to think what people could do with that. You want a mass ca- mass mass casualty event? Whole. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then okay. So the other day, Joe Biden on his 60 minute speech declared that the pandemic is over. Frank. I saw that. The pandemic is over. And and so John Pierre was was approached with this question because, you know, if it's over, then why the hell are we doing all these other here? Listen, over on 60 minutes saying there are contradictory policies in place. If that's the case, uh, on offset emergency funding, enforcement of vaccine mandates, continued federal emergency declarations. The White House have a response to that in terms of what policy currently so the, the president said, and he was very clear in his 60 Minutes interview, that uh, you know COVID remains a problem and we're fighting it. And we have to continue uh, to make sure that we are fighting uh, this once uh, in a generation pandemic. Now, she's reading, okay? Yeah. It's so bad. You remember uh, Katie McEnany used to go up there with her binder? Yes. And she didn't even have to look at it. That would be me as press secretary. I'm just saying. Anyway. And so here's the thing. What he believes is we can acknowledge uh, that uh, the the massive amount of progress that we have made. Just think about where we were when this president walked into uh, this administration where, again, a response to this once in a generation pandemic once was in a generation by the last administration. Now, if you look at today, 220 million people are fully vaccinated. And now we are in a place where it is a lot more manageable, where we know yeah. what works. There are tests, there are treatment, there are vaccines, as I just laid out. So we know what works. We know the tools that are out there to fight uh, COVID. And for over six months, for over six months, Congress over. has been abundantly over. aware. As have all of you, you've heard us talk, speak of this. You've heard oh, from the experts. You've heard up. from our. Shut she, her up. I know it's just shut it's just, her up. It's just a whole bunch just of gobbledygook. It's a wall of noise. It's a wall of noise. Yeah. I saw her say. I I saw the um the the line where it's like, um and and we are in a we are in a better the best position we've been in for future pandemic, and I or so, something along the line of. We're, we're prepared for future pandemic, better prepared now for future pandemic. And I asked myself, how? <laughs> how? Wait, wait a second. How do you know what kind of a sickness 
is coming because I think the the big the big thing about COVID was nobody had seen anything like it before because obviously it was a lab creation, and um, and it was a big it was a big scramble to try to figure out the best ways to treat this thing uh, and and you know starting from scratch. So h- how could you possibly be prepared for the next pandemic unless it's something that you you already have on we already have on the books already have on the radar. Listen, forget all that. How could you be prepared for the next pandemic when more than half the country doesn't trust the medical establishment anymore? I know. I it's it's a horrible situation to be in. Um a, a bunch of different things centered around this issue now. The CDC comes out and says providers the estimated number of patients needing anticoagulants is expected to double by 2050. Learn how you can improve the use of these therapies to optimize cares for your patients during this care for your patients during this webinar. How do, first of all, how do you measure that? How do you know? How do you know? I don't know. How do you know? And then you've got people on the inside. Do you ever hear of Dr. Paul Offit? Yes. Okay. Dr. Paul Offit is the FDA's cheerleader for vaccines. He's one of the, um, the, he's a pediatrician who specializes in infectious disease, vaccines, immunology, and virology, and the co-inventor of the rotavirus vaccine. And he is one of the people that advises the FDA on accepting vaccines into schedule, et cetera, et cetera. Listen to this interview he just gave. COVID boosters. Thanks for joining us. I'm Tracy Davidson. And I'm Rosemary Connors. While many have been anxiously awaiting the new boosters from Pfizer and Moderna, there's debate about how they'll hold up against the subvariants the shots are designed to target. <laughs> Today, I spoke with Dr. Paul Offit, a vaccine expert from CHOP, who also helps to advise the FDA. He tells me what many may not realize is that right now, the only information about these specific shots is from studies in mice. It's not only that we don't have clinical data seeing whether it works, which makes sense because, you know, we're doing this on the fly. We don't have immune data in people. Nearly two and a half years into this pandemic and new vaccine boosters appear to be on the horizon. The latest from Pfizer and Moderna would target the BA4 and dominant BA5 Omicron subvariants. But Dr. Paul Offit, a renowned vaccine expert at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, who is also on the FDA's 21-member vaccine advisory committee, is telling people who may want the shot to wait until there's more information from the drug companies. Right now, they're saying that we should trust mouse data, and I don't think that should ever be true. I I don't think you should ever ask tens of billions of people to get a vaccine based on mouse data. Dr. Offit explains mice and other animals are typically the first to be tested in preclinical trials whenever a new vaccine is made. And that tells you whether or not something is at least immunogenic, that it can induce an immune response that you think might be protective. And it also tells you whether or not you have an obvious safety problem. And then you slowly go into people, so-called phase one trials. And there's no public data on that yet. What's more, for these fall booster shots, the FDA is not consulting with Dr. Offit and the rest of the Independent Vaccine Advisory Committee. The reason to consult us is because when you do that, when you you consult us, that's open to the public. So we'll get then all the data from the two companies, which then is available to the public. By not doing that, by simply saying we don't need that advice, what they're also saying is we're not going to be transparent about what we have to the American public. And I just think that's not fair. Whoa. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. That is pretty whoa. <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm blown away right now. That man is on television saying that to a a broad audience. And just think about that at the core of it. The government said, we don't need our experts to tell us what to do. We're just going to unilaterally make the decision to recommend this to the general public in America. What like even now, the most stringent of sycophants is starting to say, hold on a second. Well, I mean, the, the, the fact that it was allowed on television is something. Right. Uh, we, we we know that they have final cut. And that's I think that's that's pretty, uh, pretty significant in itself. There's been a lot of headlines lately. Um, well, I guess the lawn guys are here. That's OK. I'll have another clip to play. But there's been a lot of headlines about there's vaccine. Been, there's has- been a lot of headlines about um, feared, uh, feared new side effects of these latest these latest uh, batches of vaccines that are coming out. And and I, I, nobody was really talking about that too much uh, a year or two ago. So the fact that we're on this is is incredible. And I, I said, uh, again, it's a, it's a lot of very confusing talking out of both sides of the mouth because whereas they keep putting this stuff out there, there has been that Politico push to try to lay the groundwork for blaming Trump for injury, but there's continuing with newer and newer generations of the vaccines. At the same time, the CDC is saying that those who are unvaccinated and vaccinated are on even playing field at this point. It's um, and and of course, the biggest thing for me is the complete disappearance of monoclonal antibodies. Right. The complete disappearance. Now, first, they were they were choking off red states. They were trying to do it available by race and ethnicity. And now it just slowly they walk them off the stage completely altogether. You know, um, before I play this clip from Dr. John Campbell about excess deaths in the UK, because new numbers have just been released, we're going to play like the first minute or two of this. Um, Geert Vandenbosch, Dr. Vandenbosch came out with a uh, paper on monkeypox and the prevalence of monkeypox and why it's happened based on prior COVID-19 vaccination. I'll give you a guess what he said. Uh, Come on, uh, you can do it. I don't know. Immune suppression has allowed this virus that usually doesn't have the ability to to propagate in the way it it has been doing Uh to mutate inside of vaccinated people, thereby causing a, 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 quote, pandemic among the vaccinated. Yeah, but... The monkeypox thing is mysterious. Is mysterious in the way that it's not just vaccinated across the board. It's it's almost exclusively gay men. Well, yeah, but so that's why be- is that? Do they have anything to say about that? No, no, they haven't had anything to say about that. Like, why is it only in people's booties that they're getting this? <laughs> why? Well, yeah, yeah. It's still it's still a mystery to me. You know what? It's amazing to me that they're mowing your lawn on the first day of fall, Frank. Well, you know what it is. Um, it's not so much a mow; it's a blow. Oh. So I, I asked. I asked uh, for this this month. Uh, hey, whenever you come by, if you can just uh, blow the leaves and to uh, to weed a little bit, because I've been doing the hedges, I've been doing everything else, and uh, this weekend is going to be Skip's celebration of life, oh. and then next weekend is Aurora's baptism. So I just wanted the place spiffed up a little bit. Nothing's growing anymore up here. Oh. I haven't had I haven't had to cut the hedges in I feel a month and a half. So 
after after October, I'll tell them we're you know, I'll see you in March when they have to start aerating for spring. You know, what's funny. William, my little one, started a uh, lawn mowing business. And down here, you have to mow a little bit longer. Um, and I'm like, what are you going to do when your clients dry up for winter? <laughs> he has to start shoveling. I, shoveling oh, you don't, what? Oh, you, oh, wait, you don't have any snow. <laughs> I forget. See, these are these are seasonal jobs you can plan for yourself in the Northeast. Yes, you can't do that down here. So he has been like racking his brain trying to figure out what to do for the winter months for himself for income. Little little guy he is. He's amazing. All right, here's Dr. John Campbell. Here. Hello, warm welcome to today's talk. It's Sunday, the 18th of September. Now we're looking at excess deaths today. This is a phenomenon all over the world at the moment. And what prompted me to do this is the European Union has just published data showing that deaths are 16% higher than we would expect. And the vast majority of these are not COVID deaths. So we've got a great increase in non-COVID deaths. So that's what we'll be looking at from the European Union. And we'll see that this is the case in many countries around the world. Now, the UK latest excess, uh, excess death data updated on the 16th of September, data for the week ending the 2nd of September. 350 deaths involved COVID. That's, uh, it was 505 the week before, so that's continuing to go down, which is good news. Total number of deaths registered in the UK, just over 10,000, but 7.4% above the five-year average. More people are dying than we would expect. This, this equates to 706 excess deaths in the United Kingdom. And deaths involving COVID-19 account for 3.4% of all excess deaths. So we see there's a large number of excess deaths that cannot be attributed to COVID. What is causing these deaths? What is causing those deaths? Oh, I wonder. <laughs> Just sudden adult death syndrome, Frank. I, is this guy the mortician? No. No, he has been like... Um, YouTube's mainstream independent analysis, like an analyst on COVID since the beginning. Um, very pro vaccine, at least in the beginning. He has about 3 million subscribers on YouTube. And this is what he's done for years. Just, just go over data studies, you know, treatment things and uh, he's had a couple little snafus where he's stepped off the middle of the road path and said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to take this vaccine again. This is very troubling information. We've played him on the show several times. If, uh, excess deaths, Oops. of course. So that's him, which is surprising to see what is causing this. It's just baffling everybody. I, pff, I don't know, but I have positive news too. What is that? Ready to end the health portion of today's show. So, you know, out of this has sprung the doctors who are like, okay, something's definitely not right here. And they've moved into nutraceutical research. And, and we talked about the other day how the FLCCC Alliance has uh, intermittent fasting as one of their post-vaccination protocol steps. So Dr. Uh, Malik, who is, is basically a Marek, not Malik, I always do that, Paul Marek, who is basically a like a renowned physician was one of the top in his field who got he was an ICU critical care physician who got fired because he wanted to treat his patients with ivermectin and other treatments that were quote not on hospital protocol and is one of the 
founders of the FLCCC Alliance who discovered these protocols for the world in their research, just a hodgepodge bunch of doctors that got together to try and figure out how to combat this pandemic using repurposed existing drugs. And so he writes a sub stack and he says, they say you are what you eat. If so, then the average American is about 50% carbohydrates and 35% polyunsaturated fats. Here's a list of the top 10 American foods. Hamburger, hot dog, French fries, Oreos, pizza, soft drinks and soda, chicken tenders, ice cream, donuts, and potato chips. No wonder more than one third of Americans are classified as obese. He says, I've been overweight too. I'm not being fat phobic, but what I'm saying is the highly processed foods we eat and the many prescription drugs we take are trying to kill us. This is a story about how while researching treatments for COVID-19, I discovered a way to lose weight and cure myself of type 2 diabetes by changing my approach to eating. So he started intermittent fasting. He's been a diabetic for over 25 years. He thought he was destined to be on anti-diabetes medication forever. He was on metformin, Jardiance, Altace, uh, Amlodipine, Lipitor, and Zoloft, okay? After four weeks of intermittent fasting and focusing on real versus processed foods, he got himself off all of those meds except metformin, but his dosage is a lot less. Yeah. He's taking omega-3, spermidine, uh, melatonin, and vitamin D3. In 12 weeks, he lost 35 pounds. And now we have these doctors turning to what healthcare should have been the entire damn time. He would prescribe for someone in his situation in the past. Now he's going to tell them, let's look at your nutrition. Good. I mean, that, that's what my nutritionist does. And my, my nutritionist was a, a, was a nutritionist to doctors at the hospital he used to work at before he had to uh, leave because he wouldn't take the jab. What's his name? Uh, Jay Gulanello. You know what? We're going to have Jay on the show, by the way. Oh, gosh, that would be a great show. I mean, yeah. you want to talk about reversing. T- I mean, he, he has been a part of efforts that reversed type 2 diabetes in people through through this as well. I mean, there's so many things that needs to be need to be said about about uh, clean living. And and yeah, it, it, I think it'll be an important uh, topic for our audience to hear because the, everybody's very interested in this. Now, if there's been one positive, it has been the overall cultural shift in how we look at medicine and how we look at naturopaths in, in general and why our body is so absolutely magical that we should be nurturing the body to do what God made it to do rather than coding a symptom in a medicine instead of looking at the core problem. And I'm, I'm working with Jane now because I have a couple things that I'm trying to fix. And, um, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's just amazing. I'm happy. In fact, he has a wonderful health retreat that is, uh, is going down Martha's the first, Vineyard. <laughs> in Martha's Vineyard the first week of October. He's got a couple of spaces still open. I have to give him a plug tonight on my show. What, why don't we tell people his website? Um, do you know it off the top of your head? It's perpetual perpetualhealth.co. Yeah. So go there. I was looking at this. Um, I can't make it to this, but I was looking at it because it looks like it would be a really amazing, uh, time. And I'm definitely going to try and go to one in the future because you learn so much. And, you know, when I was seeing my functional health specialist here, um, we had a, like a barrage of really interesting tests done to see like, what is your heavy metal output from your, from your hair follicles and what, you know, what's really going on in your body. And the results of that were eye opening for me. Like yeah. 
Wow. So not that everybody should go out and do that. I'm just saying there are things that you can do that he can help with and explain in layman's terms that will help you. So check that out for sure. Um, So there's positives coming out of all this too. Now to close out for the next 15 minutes, we got to talk about something crappy. So, you know, there's been this big push for gender reassignment surgery and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. And there are a growing and very loud cacophony of voices speaking out against doing this to children because that's when they're getting these people. And Matt Walsh came out with a thread yesterday. He have he they've been investigating uh, a transgender clinic at Vanderbilt in Nashville, and they opened this clinic in 2018. And this doctor, Shane Taylor, explains how she convinced them to get into the gender transition game. And just listen to what she says. This is going to blow you. Maybe it won't, but here. And and this is only including top surgery. This isn't including any bottom surgery. And um, it's a lot of money. These surgeries make a lot of money. Uh, So female to male chest reconstruction can bring in $40,000. Patient just on routine hormone treatment, who I'm only seeing a few times a year, can bring in several thousand dollars that requires a lot of visits and labs. It actually makes money for the hospital. Now, these are on the internet, um, but it's from uh, the Philadelphia Center for Transgender Surgery, which has um, does a lot of um, surgery for patients. I just want to give you an idea of how much these bottom surgeries are making. And this is, I think this has to be an underestimate. Uh, this is she goes on to talk about, like, how much money the hospital can make off of one surgery patient or even just someone they're helping to transition using medicine. I have to imagine only because it's never just stopping with the surgery. Uh, you're you're constantly there's constant upkeep forever. Yeah, forever. The next clip in this thread shows how Vanderbilt addresses that its staff may be conscientious objectors. Like some people might be conscientiously objecting to doing these procedures, especially on children. And the person presenting here, I won't play it because it'll take too much time says that anyone who decides not to be involved in transition surgeries due to religious beliefs or otherwise will face consequences. So they're basically forcing doctors to do something that they don't want to do, or the doctor can quit or face consequences. I would, I would be quitting before I chopped the breasts off of an 11 year old girl. Sorry. Yeah, no, absolutely. And then, Oh, go ahead. No, I was just thinking about what consequences are. I mean, obviously you lose your job. Who cares? What are they going to do? Slander you for not. Yeah, they're going to they're basically going to shame you because they have at this hospital a a program called Trans Buddies. Let's just listen to these people and they all sound the same or something completely unrelated. Nice, friendly music. My name is Sean Riley and I'm the program coordinator for Trans Buddy at the program for LGBTQ health at Vanderbilt University. TransBuddy provides trained peer advocates for transgender patients who are coming for doctor's appointments or other healthcare-related services. Whether you're looking for something that's related to medical transition, such as hormone therapy, or something completely unrelated, like breaking an arm or going to an ENT, we are here to help support any transgender patients that come through our doors. Because a trans person who breaks their arm needs an advocate from the trans community to be there in the room with them. Yeah. 
I, I don't understand. For people who just want to be accepted as the same, they sure do want a lot of special perks that other people don't get. You have no clue how hard it is for a transgender person to break their arm. Hmm. What do you mean? It's just different. <laughs> oh, I thought you meant it was more difficult. Actually, transgender people are breaking bones quite a bit because the medicines they're taking are destroying them. They might, you know, they might need that. Anyway, they make these services available to children, too. And they started deleting things from their website as soon as the story started hitting. So Matt Walsh was kind enough to hold them aside for us and and archive them. Here is a a little clip of how. Well, I'm not even going to play it. It's 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 gross. They're talking about how to give hormone blockers and puberty blockers. Actually, I'm going to play it because it gives you a window into their mindset and the words they use to get around things. This is how they give stuff to kids to stop them from going into puberty. Here. Again, fertility preservation. We can provide gender-affirming hormones on an individual who is on a pubertal blocker, depending on whatever kind of blocker they've chosen or we have discussed with them, or they can present to us at a later stage of puberty, and then we provide the gender-affirming hormones. Previously, the Endocrine Society recommended to start these at age 16, but we all know that would be delayed puberty, right? Not 16-year-olds don't start puberty. So more recently, they did update that to say as early as 14 for compelling reasons. So we have some individuals who have started gender-affirming hormones at 13 or 14 to be more like their peers. Again, they, they don't start puberty at 16? I, I don't know what is she's it, trying to say there. Did she just say that? Yeah, she did. Well, that yeah, none of this makes uh, a lot of sense. And the endocrine, the egg, uh, and there's the other thing there too. We need more authoritative sources here to to uh, to give us the green light and give us more um, legitimacy in our our mission to butcher the world. Let's create the endocrine uh, society. Yeah, so that they can decry or de- declare. Well, or the endocrine society said that we should. That's <laughs> so stupid. Oh no! It's just me against the endocrine society. <laughs> How do I match up? <laughs> After they've drugged and sterilized the kids, Vanderbilt, as explained in the video presentation by plastic surgeon Julian Winnicor and physician's assistant Shaylin Vanderblomen will happily perform double mastectomies on adolescent girls. And there's someone in the comments saying, when I had breast cancer, I had to practically beg the doctors to remove both of my breasts so that I wouldn't be lopsided. Like she wanted a double mastectomy for, and she also goes on to say like, just in case it were to have spread or she could have it come up again. And she had a, as a grown adult with an actual medical issue that would require a mastectomy, beg them to take one of her breasts off that didn't quote need it. Because you don't usually go chopping body parts off of healthy people, right? Healthy right. body parts off of people. And so now that this has all been exposed, they've completely removed their trans clinic website off the internet completely. If they're doing everything above board, why would they do that? Why? If, if they're not worried about it, why would they do that? If, I, yeah, yeah. And then I, um, it's, it's odd at this point in this stage in the game I can understand, you know, remove the website. It's, you know, because it's, it's 2003 and, and it still really hasn't hit its stride. But um, this has, I mean, you have you have the president talking about this stuff during the State of the Union <laughs> at this point. Mm. So I, I don't know why, I don't know why there's any effort to, you know, pull, pull draw the shades and, and retreat even the slightest. You think at this point it would just be like, hey, uh, this is what you're asking for. This is what goes into it. 
I don't I still don't understand the um, the drawback uh, as far as the drawing back and, and trying to, you know, hide at this point. I do. It's it's probably because they know that it's inherently wrong and they don't want to be attacked for it and have to go through the scrutiny that the general public is lobbing here. Here's some people who have detransitioned as best as they can now. And Blair White has had interviews with a few folks who have gone through this and had actual phalloplasties and the nightmare of complications that happens. And um, there's a woman who was at a press conference yesterday with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene on this, who started transitioning when she was 12. She was sexually assaulted and because of that trauma, she started to think that like she didn't want her body parts anymore because they were associated with this trauma that she experienced, which was never addressed by a mental health professional. Instead, the mental health professional told her parents, if you don't help your daughter transition to be a boy, she's going to kill herself. So if you're a parent, naive, sitting there and a doctor is telling you, you better do this or your daughter will probably end up dead. What do you do? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't do it either, but I guess these people did, they did help her. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, you want to help, but at the same time say, Hey, if we don't do all this superficial, um, chopping, cutting and pasting to your daughter or your son's body, uh, they may die. I, um, I'd say, okay, well, listen, I'm going to take my chances with, with, uh, love and prayer because this has no, this is not, this is not a medical procedure. Yeah. yeah the, it's, it's not medical. It's, it's a cosmetic. It's a, it's a very severe cosmetic procedure. There's something that we only used to make fun of on thing on like South Park. I know her, her name is Chloe Cole and she's basically eight. She's 18 now and she's speaking out against this. It's six minutes long, but I'll put it in the show notes for people. But this other one is, is shorter and these these kids are popping up, you know, they're popping up everywhere because in almost every single case, this has damaged them irreparably. They can never change this back ever, ever. Here, here she, here's a couple. I have to say there was a small, like underlying anxiety, like beneath the excitement that was like a fear that I might be doing something wrong. My life just became like a total disaster. And then right after the surgery, I had been hit with these like awful feelings of having made like a huge mistake, like undeniable, just like, oh no, like what have I done? You know, I was like looking down at my body and seeing like this, like these like weeping gashes on my chest and just having like the most awful feeling. Every year we don't stop this. How many hundreds or thousands of young girls like me, like some of you, how many of them are going to weep at the chance to have their newly lumpy chest flattened out again by mastectomies before they stop being sore? I was thinking about that and realizing, like, I don't really feel better. It just finally hit me that, like, oh, my God, like, this has all been a mistake. Everything. I also don't really feel like a man. I just feel like a woman who has had her breasts cut off. This is freaking, this is terrible. Yeah. I, I can't even, this is just disgust. Any doctor that could step into a, an OR and perform a surgery like this on a 
child, let alone an adult, because that's the in the comments. Well, what do you care what an adult is doing to their own body? Now, all of a sudden, they're libertarian. Don't worry. They're all going to hell. <laughs> or, or or the like, if the parents are signing off on this, what does it matter to you? Like, would you go and chop off the arms of a perfectly healthy child with no problems with their arms? That's not the same thing. <laughs> it certainly is. I, it I, certainly is. I can't. I can't wrap my head around this. And there again, thankfully, it's becoming much easier for these people to come forward and speak and warn about their issues and the problems they're experiencing because like they just can't censor all of these people. And so now, as we've always said, Frank, there is a war within the the newest victim class because it's so utterly ridiculous that there are not that many people who are trans in this world. There just are not. This is a social construct. There's not a lot of trans people. It's a lot of uh, it's a lot of pretending and it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of just mind control. And whereas you have a few people out there who are unfortunate enough to actually take that plunge and ruin their lives forever. Um, it's more so a um, it's more so a way for the outer rings of people to just be able to express how they're OK with it. It's there's there's a lot more people who support the idea than there are those who actually exist. But it, it, the thing is that it, there is a an uptick, whereas we're talking about a fraction of one percent of the population that had some kind of a diagnosis of dysphoria. It has it has doubled or tripled, even though it's a very still like less than one percent. But they're trying. They're trying through messaging, through projection. They're trying everything they can. Uh, uh, I had Viv come home from school the other day and tell me that her friend now has a beard. Uh, I have witnessed a friend of mine obviously transition over the last couple of years, too. I I always she was always just, you know, a, a butch uh female friend of mine i always assumed that she was a lesbian but i didn't i didn't care and it never came up and it's not my business or friends and then uh one day i i see her and she's got neck beard and i'm like oh okay so this is where it's going yeah very strange very weird anyway that's how we'll close today you have been listening to the dark delight podcast with Ricky Bell on the drums and Beans. You can hear us every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 2.30 Eastern Time on TuneIn, Stitcher, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and RadioInfluence.com. We will be back here on Friday. Later. This is a United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Cancel culture because that's what hollywood did to you yeah um i think i think i was part of the cancel culture world before it actually became a term uh it's been about 11 years ago my manager and agent called me in and they said i thought it was an intervention of some sort so i'm going let's well, wait now. i don't do drugs i'm not a drinker okay what's the problem am i working out too much um they said uh, being a christian uh, christian in the business and being conservative in, in the business in hollywood she goes, they said it's just not a good mix and we're going to have a hard time getting out to, uh, to and auditions from here on in. So we're going to have to part ways. And I was like, wow, mm. uh, you, you guys are the ones who scream for tolerance all the time. You know, 
uh, be tolerant of this, be tolerant of that. But it's obviously, as you know, it's a one-way street in Hollywood, which is really sad to me because, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't harbor that anger and that hatred that uh, the left seems to harbor for, you know, people like me. I mean, I, 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 you have a different point of view. Fine, let's discuss it and have a good conversation about it. I don't. I, I'll, I, there's just so much hate and anger out there, and I don't, I don't, I don't have that kind of world, and it's just I don't want to live in that kind of world either. So um, it sucked, but I tell you, I love the business, so I kept on plugging away and started doing my own thing. And uh, I've been, you know, since we parted ways, I've shot over probably over 50 movies since I've left Hollywood. United Patriots Uprising with Gary Benford is available for download on your favorite podcasting platform and RadioInfluence.com.